do you ever find that people don't have a purpose? Like, or they don't really know what their purpose is and you have to unpick that? Because if we design by emotions, then it really does stand the test of time because we're avoiding trends, we're avoiding Instagram and Pinterest. We're really just thinking about how do that crowd want to feel within the space? Does smell change how we work? Fragrance. Smell is a really interesting one and probably my favourite one. What should be around an office? Like what, when someone's looking for an office, say I've got an office manager listening to this now mm. and there, they are looking for a space, like what should they be considering for? Do they care where their clothing's from? Do they care where their food is sourced? And very quickly you then start to build a picture of that ideal client and that ideal person who will be using that space. That is what the world needs. Yeah. Like that is brilliant. It yeah. truly is. Like that's really heartfelt as well. I love that. Our aim at Jolie is, and I don't say this lightly, to be the most sustainable interior design practice in the UK. That is our aim. I'm delighted to be chatting to Sarah Wakefield from Jolie. Thank you so much. Really excited about this chat and for a flipping good reason. <laughs> um, Sarah, you're sort of career has just been that of an interior designer's dream I think and from emerging from interior design bachelor's degree to one and then your time at Black Sheep and then to Soho House as a lead interior designer and doing the project for the NED mm -hmm. and then Soho House Manchester and then obviously setting up Soho Works in the UK and part of the team setting up Soho Works in the USA. Yes, yeah. Like, what an outstanding yeah. <laughs> um, career path. And then, obviously, more recently to Jolie, the head of design, and winning an award for um, Mixology Design Studio of the Year 2022. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I know, it's, it's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> it is a lot, and it's very exciting. Um, so, like, for me, like, how did that, how did you get into interior design and, like, fly through those ranks quite like that. How, how did that happen? Yeah, I know. I asked myself the same question. But first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. And thank you so much. Um, yeah, it has literally, as you say, flown in. Um, I was really lucky because I sort of knew I wanted to study interior design from sort of a university level. Mm -hmm. I was really sort of interested in the creative sector. But most importantly, I really loved um, the physical 3D space of things that mm -hmm. architecture and interiors brings. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that you can physically experience something that you've designed was really powerful to me. Yeah. Um, so it felt like quite a, a straightforward path, really, to be led into interior design. Mm -hmm. um, my career did, it, as you said, sort of working sort of at Black Sheep and then Soho House and now as creative director at Joe Lee, it has sort of progressed quite quickly. Um, but what's been great is I've been exposed to so many projects, so many great designers, so many great sort of directors throughout my whole career mm -hmm. that is really just organically grown and organically led onto the next adventure in the next space, yeah. um, which has been great from a career path as well. Um, I've worked all across the UK. I sort of studied in Edinburgh and got my first job in Glasgow um, and then made the trip down to London and sort of found home here for sort of eight years or so, yeah. um, where I worked for Black Sheep, um, designing sort of beautiful bars and restaurants um, and then obviously working at Soho House, designing all the beautiful members clubs, not only in the UK, but globally. As well. um, so it's been great bring sort of all that hospitality experience and sort of help sort of set up the design teams at Joe Lee and really sort of set the creative direction for them really. Amazing <laughs> it is amazing and so you're mostly based in Manchester? Yeah so Jolie um, as a business originated in Manchester but we yeah. do have a London office as well which is growing and emerging um, and as you mentioned before we recently um, were awarded the design practice of the year at Mixology which is brilliant so for a small company to be making lots of big noise and moves within the industry is brilliant for us and we're really excited about it. I totally feel that energy because yeah. like being a small brand ourselves and when we get a Mixology yeah. finalist yeah. on a product or a surface or something like that, we're like, yes, yeah. <laughs> like, it really and, means a lot, yeah. right? And Mixology is a great award. It really sort of showcases, you know, the best design practices out oh. there and it's, yeah, it's amazing to support that as well. No, it's wicked. It's really cool. So you've had like a lot of experience, not just like across different regions but also across different sectors yeah. I know it's not just workspace but by a long shot is it yeah. it's like a lot of hospitality yeah. yeah so 
is there like one overarching thing in terms of like the purpose of the project like why mm. people actually engage with you in the first place I feel like a, the purpose of the project can almost be a little bit overlooked or undervalued yeah. <laughs> one way I don't know which the best word is that something that you actually dig into like the purpose of the job and why they are looking for a new workspace for example 100% yeah that's something that we really sort of focus on in our sort of initial design presentation to the client so quite often they will obviously come to us with an idea a space um, a direction that they think is correct for that project mm-hmm. um, and what we do is we take a step back before we start looking at their design so before we start creating mood boards or picking finishes we sort of rewind the brief a little bit and really understand what they want to create what is their purpose with the job um, so we sit around the table with them at brief stage and we really ask them about the experience that they want to create when looking at potentially a workspace or a bar or a restaurant, um, whichever. Um, and sometimes that can really vary. So for workspaces, for example, some clients want them to feel really, you know, uplifting and energizing and really mm-hmm. buzzy and sort of alive. Whereas some clients want it to feel the opposite, quite calming and relaxed and mm-hmm. quite balancing when you walk through the doors to your office space. Mm-hmm. And we design based on that purpose and that emotive feeling. And the reason for that is because it's really important that you feel great within a space. Not only the space looks great, but that it feels great as well. So we really do focus on that. Um, Another element that we work on as well is the demographic. So we do quite a lot of research into, you know, who are those people that are going to be using that workspace? Um, We take a little bit of a further sort of deep dive into that. So we don't only just look at, you know, what age they are, what sex they are. Um, But we really get under the skin of their behaviours, you know, what's important to them? Are they, you know, politically aware? Are they sustainably conscious? Um, And we start to even look at, you know, the brands that they wear, you know, what do they care where their clothing's from? Do they care where their food is sourced? And very quickly, you then start to build a picture of that ideal client and that ideal person who will be using that space. And we really do put that at the forefront of our design as well to make sure that, you know, what we're designing is suitable for that crowd. Amazing. (laughs) Love it. And how do you do that? So we do quite a lot of research. So we do research into sort of the area that it's in. So, for example, London, you know, we all know our East London crowd are completely different to our West London mm-hmm. crowd. And they they look for different things. Um, and so what we do is we do a series of research into it. So we look into the local area. We look at what amenities are there already and look at sort of what amenities aren't there as well and look at the gaps in the market in terms of where we can sort of fill those spaces, whether it's with shared amenities or shared products that we can bring into the workspace and to fill those gaps and create basically a fully sensory project and do you ever find that people don't have a purpose like or they don't really know what their purpose is and you have to unpick that yeah definitely and I think we also find that people think they've got a purpose and then when we come to them with all these findings and research Mm -hmm. you know they feel like they then need to change their purpose because they didn't realize that you know perhaps the demographic is much younger than they thought or you know perhaps the building is sort of slightly different and it the flow works differently so we really work with them on a bit of an organic journey to really sort of form that purpose and really understand what that is as well um also what we do at Joe Lee is we think about the future as well um that's part of our ethos you know sustainability we want to make sure our projects really stand the test of time mm-hmm. we want them to feel timeless and to have a longevityness to them as well so for workspace we not only look at the here and now and what the demographic needs in that area at this moment in time but yeah. we think about the future as well and think about you know what do Gen Z want from a workspace? What are their needs? How can we deliver that for them? And that's really important as well. And part of that sustainability journey to just make sure that, you know, we're future proofing all our designs as we're moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love how you take the step back before you take the step forward. I yeah. love that phrase. I think I'm gonna pick that <laughs> up. <laughs> no, it's really good. And is there is there resistance to that? In terms of the process? Yeah, like do people, is there, do you find that people resist that or they just want to get going or 
how, how do you manage that sort of change management piece? Yeah, I think, to be honest, they don't know we're doing that um, from I a see. client point of view. Yeah. I think that's sort of our internal process that we do. So when we go and present to them, they they see the whole product and the whole project anyway. But in terms of our thinking, we really sort of just make sure that we're making really considered choices before we start, you know, specifying fabrics and floor finishes and materials, um, which usually works quite well in terms of bringing the client along on that process. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's really insightful because I do think that a lot of projects might have a goal like, to bring people back to the office or for staff retention or um, bringing people into the restaurant, yeah. for example. It's not my area of expertise, but yeah. as an example. And actually to think deeper than that and who are we actually talking to and Definitely. who are we engaging with and and why do we want them back in the office as well? Is it about mental health or is yeah. it about physical health? Or is it about um, them engaging with the brand and yeah. understanding the brand values. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. It's so much deeper than simply bringing them back. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and they're looking, I think the new generation and the new workforce that's coming into action now are looking for you know stability with their employer. They're looking for perks with, with their employer. Mm-hmm. They're looking for a lot of different things, not just a job now. And I think that's really important to understand, you know, when we're speaking to the big CEOs of businesses and who they're wanting to attract to make sure that we're really aligned with that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you're exactly right. You know, we're in a post-pandemic world now. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, after COVID, our office spaces weren't being utilised. They were empty and people were struggling to get their employees back into the office. But what we were seeing were, you know, our hotel lobbies and our coffee shops really full and bustly with people working away on laptops. So they obviously felt comfortable to go into those sort of more hospitality driven environments to go and work rather than their workspace, Mm -hmm. which is why we're seeing obviously the trend now of our workspaces feeling like hotel lobbies. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got the beautiful lounge settings that work because they've got obviously plug sockets that you can sit there and work at. Um, You've got relaxed dress codes, you've got more sort of biophilia within spaces. Mm -hmm. And the blend between sort of more commercial workspaces and hospitality is completely, yeah, exactly, which is brilliant to see as well and really exciting from a creative point of view to sort of really flex those muscles in that area. Yeah, it's almost happening across everything, isn't it? Even like Mm. I'm, I'm looking at the minute just personally like, gym inspiration and like some yeah. of the images are just like phenomenal yeah, like on Pinterest exactly. like the spas and like the, that look coming into gym 100%. as a brand I think it's until okay and their their gyms are just like absolutely beautiful yeah. and it just totally changes the level of how you behave and feel and engage in the yeah, space definitely. and that really comes back to that purpose yeah 100 percent. and like equinox is a great example you know their hotels look like five um their hotels sorry their gyms yeah. look like five-star hotel lobbies you know you walk in and they're really dark and they're moody and the high level of finishes and materials that they've brought in are you know akin to like a five-star hotel in new york there's very a lot of similarities there which is really interesting and again it's sort of how you feel within that space, which I think is the most important driver. Yeah. So if you were to write a brief, I guess you would write the perfect brief because you've seen them all. Yeah. Uh, what would what would you be considering? What would you be telling workspace managers to consider when they're writing their brief? I would tell them to consider the people and put sort of humans at the centre of the design. I think quite often, you know, clients are driven by commerciality, by figures, by regulations by standards and it can really sort of dehumanize um the whole sort of look and feel and the whole meaning and the purpose of a project um i think it's really important to think about the emotive and sensory behaviors that you want to create within a space um so i would really challenge challenge them to really think about how they want their clients to feel within that space mm-hmm. um because if we design by emotions then it really does stand the test of time because we're avoiding trends we're inv- avoiding instagram and pinterest we're really just thinking about how do that crowd want to feel within the space mm-hmm. so i would definitely challenge them on that area um completely no i love that because i think that's one thing until we're all operated by robots but that's the one thing isn't it that we've all got that's 
kind of unique. We're all unique as humans, but is that unifying factor as well? And it's kind of what brings the brand. I mean, I say this like none of, no one else in the industry has got at staff. And yeah. we're so privileged and yeah. lucky to have who we've got. Mm. And that kind of sets us apart mm. in terms of their skill set and their, their everything really about them. But that's only as we like actually embrace and mm. harness and like let that skill set flourish really. Yeah, definitely. So agree with and, people. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think another thing I would probably add to that as well is you know, our aim at Jolie when we design spaces is to really sort of bring people together. We want to sort of galvanise people within spaces and create communities and create sort of that social sustainability within spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, we want them to have a purpose and to feel used to the best of their abilities. So I would also sort of challenge them to think about that and think about how we can create that, whether that's through shared amenities or shared products within a space. Um because I think there's something about sort of that collective feeling that is really sustainable that stands the test of time as well. And how how do you do that? So we do that in a variety of ways. So the way that we design and create those sort of sustainable communities is by the senses. So at Jolie, we look at all five senses when we design. So, you know, that's sight, touch, taste even, potentially in restaurants, um, smell and soundtrack. Um, the reason we design in this way is because you experience these senses every day, you know, even sort of walking in here today, you know, there's something beautifully visual in front of you. There's a soundtrack in the background. There's naturally a scent as you walk in and they're the most memorable um, senses. So it's really important to sort of consider that when designing a space to make sure, you know, it's all linked to that sustainability aspect as well. Um, so we do quite a lot of work, for example, in terms of materiality. So, for example, tabletops are a great example. If you're sat there working with your laptop and the material and the finish of the tabletop is quite cold to touch, you probably wouldn't want to stay there that long because it doesn't feel as comfortable. Whereas if it was sort of a timber table, it would feel a lot more warmer to touch. Potentially, it's a little bit worn in texture and you might be inclined to stay there a little bit longer. So these sort of clever material choices really do affect how you feel within the space. Um, So we do quite a lot of research into that, which is all backed by science as well, which is really good to sort of use as a precedent. Um, Another example of that is um, of materiality in spaces is airports, for example. Mm -hmm. So when you go into an airport, it's all sort of hard finishes. You've got sort of marble finishes um, everywhere. Um, And the reason for that is because they want you to transition immediately from, you know, security to your gate as quickly as possible. possible. (laughs) Exactly, as quickly as possible. Um, Whereas, obviously, we don't want that to happen in a workspace. We want people to, you know, transition quite, you know, calmly and slowly throughout the space. So we'll bring in sort of softer textures underfoot um, to really sort of slow down the pace and bring down the heart rate so that you experience the space in a much more sort of calm manner. So that's in touch. Yes, that's in touch. Yeah. So talk to me about sight. How to play that then? I mean, there's five senses. I want to unpack those now. You've like got me on something, and I actually really, I'm very passionate about that and how the senses impact how we how we are as humans and our environment. But as sight, I mean, even I mean, there's a ton of research on the psychology of colors, yeah, um, and ambience and light, yeah, that type of thing, yeah. Yeah, so colour is a big one that we do. So we do quite a lot in terms of sort of colour psychology and how that makes us feel. Um, A great project um, that we've done recently, um, for example, is Deansgate Square, where it's actually um, a wellness space. It's got a big sports hall in there. It's got beautiful swimming pools, sort of members club facilities in there as well. But for example, the sports hall, um, we wanted to really bring colour psychology and colour theory into this space. Mm -hmm. So we know that red is the most competitive colour. So we wanted to bring that into the space. But red is also quite a threatening colour. You associate it with danger. Um, And we didn't obviously want people to feel uh, 
at risk in the sports hall. So what we did with the red is we really sort of desaturated it to a burgundy colour and matched it with a real pale pink colour. So the space feels really sort of hospitality driven and really sort of encompassing, yet it still has that underlying competitive edge to it, which is really good. So that's an example of sort of sight and how sort of our colour theory really plays into it. Um, and all this research, you know, we hold our hands up. We're not scientists at all. We've not done the research. But what we do is we use their research in our design. So we actually speak with quite a few different scientists in the field of the senses so that we're constantly bettering our experience and our knowledge in these sectors so that we can then apply that to sort of the designs that we look at um, within the studio. I love that. And another thing I think that the... There's a misconception that using colour will feel like kindergarten. Mm. As actually, it doesn't need to be. No. There's so many tones and shades that you've mentioned about taking yeah. the red right out and sort of desaturating it. You can actually start to become very sophisticated. Mm. You can be very vibrant, mm. but it can also be very muted and very calming. And you can really play with any scent, yeah. any any kind of feeling and emotion yeah, you want 100%. just by the tones and shades, right? Yeah. And it's just something that I feel like almost in the UK, we particularly are a bit shy about colour. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like In definitely. other countries, like they're a lot more vibrant yeah. and they're a lot more expressive and they're yeah, just culturally, I suppose, in, in colour. Whereas we tend to be a bit like muted, mm. which is interesting that you're applying that and and that's being accepted I yeah guess. definitely and you know we do have projects that aren't colorful at all um but they still sort of have that color theory behind it as well so for example another project that we're working on um, which is a workspace project they wanted it to feel quite uplifting and creative and energizing and the colors that are associated with that are more sort of the yellows and the oranges that they, they are naturally quite creative colors um, but we've not painted the space yellow and orange at all. We've brought it through in, you know, the tone of the timber that we're using. So it can come across in really sort of subtle ways within a project. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, like you say, like a primary colour on the walls or anything like that. Um, and again, that's our challenge as a designer, because sometimes you know, we'll ask the client how they want people to feel within the space and they'll give us some sensory words and we'll associate that to colours and sometimes we'll end up with a colour palette that's clashing potentially or potentially not matching. So that's our job as designers to, you know, either desaturate it or bring it through in different tones to create a beautiful sort of colour palette for that client and that project and that sensory experience, really. Love that. Love how you mentioned you brought it to room wood to be honest yeah it's really clever mm. it's not just going for like a plane a paint or a surface or a carpet or something yeah like that. it's exactly. actually using natural resources because there is lots of color in nature yeah if you actually look like yeah there's lots yeah. of colors right yeah definitely. that's interesting and also from sight like light and the ambience yeah. of the space really play i mean we all know that mm. human connection to nature and light being the most important mm. of them all i don't the misconception is that plants are actually light is like the biggest player in our mood boost yeah. and all that type of thing there is challenges though isn't there with mm. that and people having eye strain or mm. like solar gain are getting hot or something like that yeah. what do you do I think what we sort of really focus on is especially with lighting is mm -hmm. the transition so more and more we're being asked by clients you know to be sort of multifunctional and flexible and make the space work from day to night and that's when light I think really comes into play so for our workspaces for example you know we set up the lighting so that it works for you know those breakfast meetings and those coffees and mm -hmm. business meetings in the morning but it also works all the way through to the evening when you've potentially got you know events in there or external catering or you know you're having a cocktail after work with your friend in the amenity space we really make sure that the lighting transitions from day tonight um and also that it's reflective of the material as well because you know a material in bright sunlight looks completely different mm -hmm. to a material in sort of really sort of beautiful atmospheric dimmed down lighting yeah. so we really look at all the temperatures when we're specifying a material as well but you're right sort of lighting is key um 
And again, I think our working patterns are changing ever so much. You know, we're no longer doing the nine to five. There's lots of flexible working, potentially late nights or early mornings. So it's making sure that our workspaces work out with that nine to five as well. Um, so they're fully flexible and adaptable too. The smell change how we work? Fragrance. Smell is a really interesting one and probably my favourite one. Um, interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, I've learned quite a lot about it recently um, in recent years, which is really great. Um, but smell does have, it's, it's the strongest sense. So hence why everyone says they can smell the ex's perfume. There's a reason for that. You, it's linked to your old um, memory bank, so your old factory settings. Mm-hmm. And it's the most memorable sense of them all. Um we bring scent through in all our spaces, commercial, hotel, um, bar, restaurant, whatever it may be. Um, and the reason for that is we look at the properties associated with it. So we don't just pick a scent because it smells nice, but we pick it because of the properties. So, for example, bergamot, um, that's quite an uplifting property. So we'll bring that through in spaces where you want to feel a little bit more uplifted or energised. Whereas sandalwood is a lot more of a sort of calming and a relaxant so we'll bring that through in potentially, you know, meeting room settings or something similar to that. Um, but sort of scent is evolving more and more and more. I think more people are doing their own scent, especially in the hospitality sector. Mm-hmm. Workspace is slowly following that as well. Um, but sort of our aim at Jolie is to make people just feel really well within a project. And scent really does do that in a beautiful sort of subtle way. So do you have a challenge like if someone maybe comes to a welcome area reception area that is uplifting and then Mm. needing to go to a sort of calming zone that you transition sense is that is there such a thing yeah yeah, there is but yeah you're right you have to be really careful because there's a few things there we look at sort of the size of the space and that depends of how much scent we really sort of push out into that space it can be really subtle so in smaller spaces like a toilet cubicle for example we could just look at a reed diffuser Whereas in our bigger sort of more commercial spaces, we have sort of pumped scent through the HVAC system when we're covering a larger area. But when transitioning through spaces, we select scents that have a sort of underlying scent throughout them. So, for example, a welcome space and every scent that we look at usually has about three scents within that. So whether that's bergamot, sandalwood or jasmine that could feel quite uplifting. And then if you go through to um, the meeting room, we could potentially still carry on one of those scents, whether that's bergamot or sandalwood, but then pair it with something else that's a little bit more sort of calming. So you're right, you don't want to go from, you know, a really sort of invigorating space and then this one smells different and then the next one does. So we're very sort of sensitive to that when sort of selecting scents for the space. That's interesting. I didn't know it played such a part. Yeah. And what about sound? Sound, yes. Yeah. So sound, we always... So this is probably something that we're most passionate about as well, um, that we get quite excited about in a studio. So when we sort of create our mood boards and our visuals for the spaces, we also have soundtracks playing in the background. Um, Spotify is a great tool for this, for discovering sort of music and sounds as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we'll do is we'll sort of curate a soundtrack for each project at the beginning. Um, and we even sort of have this running throughout the presentation. Um, so sort of clients can really not only start to see their space, but they can start to hear it. And we also, they can start to smell it as well. Um, and that's something that's really important to us. Um, we do also partner with a sound engineer Um a brilliant guy that we work with here in London who actually creates bespoke soundtracks um, for our projects, which is brilliant. Um, We work with him and sort of we sort of brief him in on the project, tell him our creative ideas, Mm -hmm. the experience we want to create. Um, And he basically looks at the soundtrack and pairs that to our design. So we have sort of a fully cohesive project, which is really interesting and something that's, that's quite new and quite different, I think, within the interior design agency. No, I do think sound is, I mean, just from my own experience, like you're in the morning, mm. you might listen to some mellow instrumentals mm-hmm. and then come two o'clock slump, three o'clock slump, you're wanting something a bit more uplifting, yeah. some pop or whatever. Yeah. So it definitely does change it just from our conversation here like yeah. and, and our team around us. So yeah. it definitely does impact that. There's also a lot of opinions on music. Mm. Yes, and it is very subjective, isn't it? Yeah, it so is it music that? 
play or is it like nature sounds or is it mixed? Into when we do the bespoke soundtrack, it can be basically anything. Um, so we're actually doing a project at the minute, which is a beautiful um, boutique hotel um, in the northwest of England. Um, but the brief for that is it's very sort of influenced by Africa, the African savannah. They wanted to really transport people away from there every day. So for that, the soundtrack is very, you know, there's African tones in there, there's drums in there, there's nature, you know, bird sounds in there as well. So it really does transport you. However, that soundtrack obviously wouldn't work for a commercial office space in the city. So it does change completely depending on sort of the project and the brief, really. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Is taste something that we can take into consideration? Taste is a tricky one. So especially obviously when used in restaurants and um, because obviously taste is the food and that is really you know what the chef wants you to experience in terms of sort of workspace settings we really sort of focus you know everyone puts in a zip tap or a hot tap um, but now we're really sort of open to a lot more products within that sector so take drinks for example you know We've got beautiful sort of flavoured waters now. We've got kombucha. We've got, you know, organic coffee. We've got natural teas. All of those obviously have a taste. Um, and quite a lot of workspaces now, they want to, you know, welcome guests and visitors with a drink. And, you know, we will work with them and we'll be like, how about you serve this um, as your drink for all your guests coming in or, you know, whoever's having a meeting within the space. And that's, I think, how we can subtly bring taste into sort of more of our commercial sort of workspace settings um, in quite a subtle way, really. Yeah, no, it's interesting because in a way it's the, it's hard, but in a way everybody does consume and drink in a workspace. Mm -hmm. So what we can do in terms of what we provide and the placement of it yeah it's quite it, there's a lot you can do there's it's not no mistake that when you walk into a supermarket the fresh fruit and veg mm. and flowers meet uh, meet you and the meat yeah is miles <laughs> away yeah yeah that's <laughs> as if you walked in the door of a supermarket yeah. and you're greeted by a whole yeah um <laughs> fridge full of meat it'd be fairly disgusting it would wouldn't it especially for the vegans <laughs> yes exactly but it's quite but it's always been like that before yeah. even like like vegan was such a big trend if you know mm. what i mean it was yeah, always definitely. greeted by flowers and fruit and veg mm. which is interesting because visually mm. and fragrance yeah. and the sight yeah it, it, it does a lot for us yeah right? definitely and you know retail is a really interesting sector that Love you know retail. Yeah, and, and they, they're ahead of the curve, you know, especially with, like, they're ahead of hospitality and they're ahead of workspace. And, you know, they've been looking at scent for a long time. Like, a lot of retail spaces are scented. Um, and they've been looking at soundtracks and also taste as well, especially sort of more of the concept stores. You know, I, w I was in Aesop, actually, in Copenhagen, and I went in, just popped in for a browse. And, you know, I'm served with a tea as I'm walking around browsing. And... You know, they've really thought about, you know, that customer journey and that experience that they want to create. And, you know, they've really curated that to sort of the real high level of detail, um, which is really interesting. And that's what's quite exciting to bring that through into sort of that workspace setting as well, because, you know, we really want it to be sort of that high level of quality within a workspace because we're there all the time and we want it to feel like a really comfortable and welcoming environment to be yeah. and work in. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I I love the senses, how they play on. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's so interesting to, to you to unpack yeah. that. So thank you. So Sarah, that's, I love that. Thank you for everything you sh shared. Um, with that, that's everything you've spoken about is inside the four walls mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the office once the guest or member of staff anything arrives yeah. how does contextual design like in terms of everything outside the office from the person's front door to mm. the front door of where they're arriving mm. that obviously plays a huge part in the mindset that they arrive in and the, maybe the reason that they arrive yeah can you influence that yeah, do you know what? We're working on a really exciting project in Oxford, um, which is actually a life science building, um, but it's a workspace building, um, which is a completely different sector. 
to, you know, the creative sort of hub industries of London that we've been used to designing. Um, and this project is really interesting because the way that the architecture is designed and the landscaping and sort of the urbanisation around it and the town planning, because it is a new building, it's designed to sort of really slow your approach to the building. So I think we're all guilty of, you know, we're running late, we will need to get into the office, we're straight through the doors, need to get straight in the lift and straight to the desk. Um, whereas this has sort of been designed that you have a slow approach. So the way the landscape is and the way the levels are slow you down. So you physically can't go that fast when you enter the building. Um, and we really loved that. We worked with the architects on that and the whole sort of town planning around it. Um, and we wanted to continue that within the interior as well. So we wanted to make sure that, you know, you didn't go through those doors and you were straight through your speed gates up into the lift. So we actually situated um, the reception desk as a bit of a blocker within the space. So it physically blocks your line of sight and your way through the building. Um, so um, people who come and where they work there, they sort of go through the front doors and they're led around to the right hand side, which actually takes you past sort of the library area and the coffee area, sort of the cafe. And you kind of go around the reception desk and then you eventually go down to sort of like the lift lobbies. So it's a slow approach. And again, we wanted to create that because like you say, you know, whether you're cycling to work, whether you're on a train, however you get there in mode of transport is quite hectic and quite busy. And we really wanted to sort of really decompress that and really sort of slow that down. So we made sure to create that slow journey when they entered the building. Um, and I think on top of that, sort of, we really focus on where that building is as well and the research driven element of that space. So taking in that, you know, cont contextual surroundings, you know, what the facade colour is and really sort of linking it to what is there and the building and the place. And um, so there is a sense of place with that as well. And what what should be around an office? Like what when someone's looking for an office, say I've got an office manager listening to this now mm. and there, they are looking for a space, like what should they be considering for? Yeah, that's really interesting. It, it depends obviously on sort of what their business is and what they want to sort of yeah. attract. Um and again, sort of the the offices that we work on can be sort of, you know, in the middle of a city centre where you've got so many amenities and so many you know cafes to go to and coffee shops on your doorstep um and we also work with sort of workspaces that are out of the city and you know they potentially don't have a lot of amenities there at all um so we'll want them to you know bring in their amenities to the building as well um so it'll definitely sort of depend on the location with that um one thing that i would consider any office manager to really look at is sort of spaces that you can really give up to that sort of sense of amenity and um, so spaces where you can congregate with your colleagues and um, you can come you can share you can communicate you can be social you can network you can have a break away from your desk whether that's you know to have a coffee with a colleague or you know just step outside for a minute and take in some fresh air and a bit of a breath before then going back in so I would sort of really focus on that sort of element of an office space as well as obviously like your office floors, um, which are a given really. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I do think that the reason someone goes into the office might not even be for the office. It might be some of the amenities around yeah. and how they arrive. That totally depends on the commute. And, yes. that can, and in a way that's outside of our control to a degree. Mm. But then I do love how that projects almost the building regardless of what that journey has mm. been to that point you can then take control and slow people down decompress yeah. and kind of like lose some of that potential stress that's built up exactly throughout yeah. the journey to work and like that yeah and we, we make sure that it's the same for everyone as well so you know whether you're sort of walking through the front door, you have that same experience as if you were cycling and you're coming in through the basement and you're in the shower and change and then you come up to the ground floor. So we want to make sure it's that same experience for anyone who's sort of travelling to that building and sort of entering that building themselves. Having cycled a lot of buildings, <laughs> they can get quite grotty. Yeah, and they, like, they bring you through the back door. <laughs> and it's just like, there's a little like 
mouse yeah. like trap thing, yeah. deterrence or whatever they call yeah. it. It's terrible to say, yeah. but it's true. It is true. I've seen it. Yeah. And it's grotty. Like a car park. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's yeah. not great. And so I love that you've thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to cycle to Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> and again, we sort of bring through the same sort of colours that we've got on the ground floor and it can be really simply done. Um, it's just sort of changing the finishes down there. They're still obviously really commercial and really hard wearing, but it just affects that experience that you have, which is great for sort of the well-being of the person within that building. Yeah, it's excellent. And how does planet play a part in all of this? Because we know it does. Yeah, definitely. But how do you take that into? Yeah. So we do, our aim at Jolie is, and I don't say this lightly, to be the most sustainable interior design practice in the UK. That is our aim. We're currently going for B Corp at the moment, which is something that we're really passionate about and interested about. Um, But sustainability, as you say, sort of affects all our lives, you know, whether that's, you know, how the team get to work or how we get to site versus the materials that we're specifying on a project. Um, Our sample library is sort of brimming with brilliant sustainable suppliers about sort of a few years ago, what we actually did was we cleared out our entire sample library and basically started again. Wow. And we filled it in with sort of products that we felt were sort of the most sustainable um, within that range. And, you know, we'll hold our hands up. We're not 100% there at all, um, but we're, we're getting there. And we've got products across all different price points. And again, you know, yourselves here are a great example of those sustainable products that we have in our library um, that meet the criteria that the client's after and that we can apply in a really sort of creative way within all of our um, projects, which is fantastic. Um, but that was that was definitely a messy day within the studio. Pizzas were ordered at lunch, let's put it that way, in a big pile of samples. Um, but yeah, we're constantly trying to really better ourselves and discover, you know, these brilliant new suppliers and products within the market. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just our pleasure to use them really on our projects. It's excellent. And we also see that there's a lot of innovation in the industry. And actually it can come from a range of people it can be the large corporates but it can also be some like smaller independent people that have like mm. studied something and they're doing really innovative exploratory like progressive game-changing materials but it's hard for them to yeah. get certification or mm. epd and that mm. type of thing and it can actually put them on a bit of a back foot, although they actually are really ahead of the curve. Yeah. Which seems a bit unfair. Yeah, um, I agree. How do you, like, advise a client to look at sustainability? Is it a certificate or is it sort of organic material? Mm. How, is, how do you challenge them to be sustainable? This is obviously the biggest challenge. Um, I, I would definitely admit that in terms of, all the accreditations needed for the materials that you're putting in, especially if our projects are going for BRIAM Excellence, which mm-hmm. we're seeing more and more now. Our well accreditations are obviously um, more and more with all the projects that we're looking at. Um, it's really interesting you mentioned that because I was actually at the Surface Design Show um, recently and they've got emerging um, suppliers there that they were showcasing. And I met a brilliant um, lady um, who's just started you know, a textile she's graduated from textiles and she started producing these beautiful sustainable textile fabrics that you can use on upholstery and curtains yet she's obviously just new in her career and she used you know a your um a mill in yorkshire to sort of create all these textiles which is a great story because it's local yarn it's local for us in the north of england it'd be great to use on um, a project however obviously she's not got the accreditations associated with it which is such a shame because we can't use that on a particular project. However, we do have plenty of projects where we can use items like that, um, which is great to sort of bring through and sort of use that within projects. But it's, it's definitely a challenge. And I do think sometimes, you know, the accreditations and the certificates really do sort of put a bit of a stamp on creativity sometimes um, when they don't quite hit the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another great example of that is vintage furniture. Mm-hmm. You know, the best way that you can be sustainable is to reuse. That's the best way. Um, so we try and bring through, you know, existing furniture pieces, whether that's a coffee table or an upholstered chair in every project that we look at. Um, and 
obviously they don't come with a certificate at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're lucky if you come not broken. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we do try and, you know, uplift them and, you know, make sure, for example, if a project's going for Briam Excellence, maybe we look at, you know, just a coffee table there and not sort of an upholstered piece, which will need, you know, the FR treatment on the foam and the mm-hmm. fabric, etc. Um, so it's challenging, but I think if we're getting there and I think we can be creative and add certain elements into certain projects um, as we work through them. Yeah. So are clients taking the likes of Briam almost as a proof that they've met yeah. particular requirements? Yeah, I, th- I think basically the short answer is is yes. Um, and again, we can be sort of really creative on that we're working um on a project in Hammersmith in London at the moment mm-hmm. where they have sort of an existing um red terracotta tile in their lobby mm-hmm. um and it's quite an ugly terracotta tile can I just say um <laughs> but there's lots of it and it, this material like stretches you know it's like triple height um, and what we're actually doing is we're working with the architects on this as well. And we're taking that tile and we're grinding it back down and we're actually changing it into a clay paint um, and adding sort of natural dyes into it. So we're changing the colour of it and we're going to apply it in the lift cores running up the building. So we're using something that's existing, but amending it and changing it for that use, which is really exciting and quite innovative as well. Um, so we're constantly finding these new ways of sort of redesigning areas, which is which is great. That is that is what the world needs. Yeah, like that definitely. is brilliant. It yeah. truly is. Like that's really heartfelt as well. I love that. Mm-hmm. Then there's a whole piece around that though, is storytelling. Yes, and that people how do you get that message? Yeah, how do you get that message across? How do people know? And not just for knowing's sake, but I think like, that's a whole kind of sort of social proofing and that people just like it's not just a paint, it's actually ground down tiles. Definitely. Do you do that? <laughs> we we get involved in it. I think the marketing is is so important. You know, I think at the minute we're sort of deaf by QR code. And I think mm. that seems to be sort of the go-to at the moment. You know, I've been into spaces and, you know, even timber tables having like a QR code sort of laser cut into them. And yeah. you can get the story from that piece, which is brilliant, but... we're noticing people aren't really interacting with that um I think the best way is sort of you know the pre-arrival kind of brief into these spaces um I think sort of you know briefing people before they arrive at the building so they know what to expect and they know that you know this is a Briam excellent building and we've used these brilliant innovative ways within the interior that you'll discover when you see it's probably one of the best way to sort of communicate that rather than you know, scanning every piece of furniture when you're in the office. Um, but I do think we definitely need to sort of help improve those channels and those lines of communication to really sort of get that message across because it is powerful and it is game changing and we are making moves within the industry by working it that way. Um, but I do think we probably need to be a little bit better in terms of how we market that, um, especially to people coming through the front door every day. Yeah, well, I think it will, it's game changing and it will inspire others, which mm. is important to share the message for that reason. But also, secondly, we were talking earlier about emotions yeah. that straight away as a guest in that space, I'll have a more of a, a mm. connection and emotion connection mm-hmm. to that building. Yeah. And that means a lot to me yeah. and for guests or s- staff or any businesses mm. of any type to that space. It goes back to a whole sort of like demographic and the research mm. you do of understanding what's important to the people and what they wear. And if that if sustainability is important to them, they'll be delighted to be working yeah, for that company yeah. because of your it's design. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. And that is going to impact obviously in staff retention and yeah. um, talent attraction and yeah. all these really great things that yeah. reduces recruitment costs and HR costs and sick days. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. So it sounds like something so simple, yeah. but actually it's so, so deep. Yeah. And definitely. that's what excites me. Yeah. <laughs> and it does, it links back to that social sustainability as well, because then you're sort of, you, you've got that space and people that feel really excited to be there and, you know, that yeah. they, they feel at home there, which is really important. And then our spaces just feel really buzzy and really used to their best of their potential, which is, which is great as well. There's a desire to go to a members club, like so. Mm. Like someone, one of my colleagues was going there the other day, and they told me all about it before and after. Mm. I went to so house, blah, 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 blah. 
which is great and obviously straight away thought of you how can we create that kind of desire to go somewhere when it's the workspace yeah because it's not true. about just like oh i've got to go to work it's like, oh my goodness i've got to go to my workplace. yeah yeah that that yeah is a good point i think you know we're noticing more and more the workspaces that we're working on the clients are giving away their sort of prime lettable spaces which tend to be either the top floor of the building mm-hmm the roof terraces and mm-hmm. um, the larger, you know, spaces that potentially have uninterrupted 360 degree views of London, they're sort of taking them away from being sort of plain office spaces and letting them out to clients. But they're actually transforming transforming them into clubhouses and they call them sort of clubhouses as well or members clubs. Mm-hmm. And they're wanting to have that as an amenity that is accessible for, you know, all the tenants of the building to go up and use mm-hmm. as they will. So whether that is, you know, your breakfast business meeting with a client or whether it is sort of a cocktail after work um, with your colleague, that space is designed to feel slightly more elevated than, you know, the ground floor reception amenities mm-hmm. is supposed to be a little bit more premium and it's supposed to be a bit more exciting. And quite a lot of the projects that we do are looking and focusing on that as well. Um, and I think the outdoor spaces associated with those clubhouses are as equally appealing. You know, people are working really hard these days, you know, the hours are long um, and they do want to sort of get a break from their desk and sort of the day-to-day work so they will go up to these terraces and you know have a mental sort of respite away from their laptop and their phone and their computer and you know take in the views and the fresh air and the outdoor space and to be able to then sort of collect their feelings and then go back down to the office space again um But sort of linking back to your original question, these um, members clubs that we're seeing in sort of workspaces are becoming more premium. You know, the level of detail and materials in there are the same budget as what we are seeing in sort of hospitality projects. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see that shift in direction from these big developers, you know, giving away that prime lettable space to something that is you know, ultimately, they're not necessarily going to see a return on investment on in terms of making money on that floor plate per square area. But what that members club does is it obviously lets out all the office plates below because they want to have an office with a members club at the top. So I definitely think you can still create that excitement and that feeling of purpose. And, you know, like going to a Soho house, you know, those uninterrupted views of the city are now coming into our workspaces, which is great and a great pull um, to have as well. Yeah, because if we can just flip it on it, if we can take just a 20% of that, whatever that is, that emotion, that kind of feeling that I just want to go, yeah. I would love to go to so Yeah. And to get that into our workspace or into any any hospitality area, like, and that's just going to bring so many people, but it impacts people for more than just bragging rights. It's it's actually how they feel when they're Mm. there and it's the experience that they can share and it's the exclusivity of it. 100%, yeah, definitely. But then I think offices do actually lean to creating that space because they are quite exclusive. Mm. Like, it's not open to the public. Mm. It is for the staff that Mm. work for that brand. Yeah. So everybody knows, like, back in the day, like, Google was the place to be Mm. and people wanted to work there and that the amount of talent and they could be really fussy about who they picked and I mean what a brilliant position to be in yeah definitely just through design yeah and I think sort of workspaces now like businesses are wanting you know to really welcome their clients into their office as well they don't want them to they don't want to just do a zoom call and that be an hour and that's it you know they really want to let their clients experience themselves as a brand and an ethos Mm -hmm. so to have a space where they feel that they can do that which is outside of a glass box meeting room I think is an amazing pull and I think it's being utilized a lot across Mm -hmm. all sort of commercial workspace projects that we're looking at at the moment yeah I think we find similar here I mean you said it when you walked Mm -hmm. in but oh it feels so calm here it's Mm. so it's such a great start to the day or I would love to work here I mean we get those comments all the time when people come in and yet, visually, I could take pictures, but until you actually come to the space yeah, and you and feel experience it, it yeah, yourself, you yeah. feel it tangibly, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the invisible aesthetic. Yes, it is, it is. <laughs> it does actually change 
your whole mindset yeah. and decompress. And it's all those really good things because that's what our brand is about. Yeah. But then again, if your brand is more about invigorating and mm. innovation and mm. fast paced, then you could deliver that. So yeah. it's really exciting how people can feel yeah. in a space and how we can change that. Definitely. Is there something to be said, though, for designing for different people in terms of like an introvert might want to work in a quieter space yeah. and in the same company there will potentially be the extroverts mm. and that type of thing. How do you yeah. tie in for all those different feelings? We, d- we definitely focus on that. So um, a project, um, the project I mentioned in Oxford, um, which is a life science um, yeah. building, that's a very different crowd of people that will work there. So they're sort of highly intelligent, highly intellectual scientists who, you know, they spend their lifelong mission trying to solve, you know, the UK's biggest scientific problems. Mm-hmm. Um, the likes of AstraZeneca could reside in that building. Okay. Um, and that crowd range from, you know, graduates who've potentially graduated from Oxford and Cambridge all the way through to, you know, PhD students and even leaders in the field who are like 75 plus who still don't want to retire because they want to solve some of these biggest scientific problems. Mm-hmm. That crowd um, are completely different to sort of, I would say, you know, our regular workspace crowd. Mm-hmm. They they work nocturnal hours, so they don't necessarily stick to the normal nine to five. And um, they work weekends as well. And they do tend to be quite introverted. They work very solely on their own, on their own experiments, their own research, their own tasks. So then when we were brought on board on that project to look at sort of the amenity space mm-hmm. of the ground floor, which includes like a gym, wellness space, um, cafe, event space, etc., and lounge, we made sure that we created pockets where it felt comfortable to be on your own and sit on your own. So we actually have some chaise chairs um, which are sort of lined up against the window. So you've got beautiful views of the garden and they also have headphones on there. So you can go, you can, you know, sit, listen to a podcast, noise cancelling headphones, feel that you can recline a little bit. They've got sort of curtain partitions in between them. So you feel enclosed, you feel like you're on your own. You're not in the middle of a big sort of bustly co-work space. Um, so we really sort of focus on sort of that demographic and that crowd and making sure that we're designing to them, um, which ultimately creates a great product at the end of it as well. Yeah. Actually enables people to then solve the scientific problems. Which exactly. Striving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just supporting them on their journey. And, yeah. and that's what every workspace should do, you know. We're not there to take people away from their day to day. We're there to, you know, give them the stage and the platform for them to do the best job that they can do. Mm-hmm. And if we can provide the interior for them that looks great, feels great and works operationally, then I believe we've successfully done our job on that. Is change management a big part of your role? Um, a little bit. Um, so we do look quite a lot in terms of, you know, spaces and businesses adapt quite a lot, don't they? And mm-hmm. they do sort of change their shape and their structure over time. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been involved in sort of big workspace schemes where they want you to plan it out for, you know, year one and then year five and year 10 um, mm. to see how the company can evolve and grow into that space and how we can look at multifunctional aspects and how the space can sort of deliver towards that. So we look at it from that side of things more than anything else, I would say. Yeah, I'm just thinking some of the things that you implement. I mean, they're so great and now they've been done it's easy to in hindsight look back and say yeah well that was obvious but at the time when the it was a blank piece of paper or an empty shell of a building to convince a client to put in curtain partitions with lounge chairs and headphones for their introverted highly intellectual Mm. um guests visitors Mm. team must there must be a bit of a bridge there, a bit of a journey for them to go on. Definitely. And we do, again, it's sort of bringing the client along with us as well. Um, But that client um, for us really recognised that anyway um, and recognised that, you know, they work in that sector and that they know their crowd as well. Um, But one thing that we do do is we want to design spaces so you don't have to refurb them every five years. That's not our aim. We want them to stand the test of time. So when we design spaces, we really future proof them in how we sort of lay them out, even down to, you know, floor boxes. We make sure there's enough power there. So if you wanted to change the layout, you're not digging into the floor, having to bring up power. There's still some 
power outlet there as well. All the boring things, but really sort of effective um, when looking at the longevityness of a building and its timeline. I've seen that many times. Mm. That power is almost the biggest mm. block to agility. Yes. Because everybody needs to go and charge something. Um, and it's the thing that stops us being truly mobile. Yes. Is yeah. you've got to have a power socket and you can't move anything anywhere because you've got to get power to it and exactly. data. And audio visual now with like Teams meetings mm. and things like that. It is kind of like the yes, little bit of a yeah, I've spoken away, isn't it? Yeah, my my pet peeve is going into a workspace and you've got you know laptop wires over the shoulder, over the back of the sofa, trying to plug it in, and I think that's why sort of Soho works worked so well because. You know, the aesthetic is a Soho house, but if you look carefully at all the furniture and, you know, um, like the tables and chairs, they all have power subtly, you know, situated close to it. So you don't have those trailing wires of laptops, etc. And it still looks quite a hospitality driven space. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely plays with my ACD, yeah, all the cables <laughs> everywhere. Oh, it does, does me in a yeah, bit. definitely. I know. I can't stand it. <laughs> Until everything's wireless, we can put a laptop I know. on the table, if only. and it yeah. just charged yeah. the laptop. Put a phone on the table, just charged. I know. One day, I think we'll get there. <laughs> I can't wait for my phone to have like a four-month charge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and exactly. still be that thin. Yeah. <laughs> That's the aim, isn't it? I know. Hopefully we'll get there. And signal. Hopefully we get full signal as well. Yeah, that'd be useful, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting, Sarah. Thank you so no, much for thank joining Thank you so us. much. Thank you for having me. It's oh, been gosh. so lovely. It's been great. It's a really interesting episode. Love your background. Love all the projects you've brought in. I thought it's brought a lot of insight to our listeners. So thank great. you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks.